0: The topic before us on today's morning show here on WGTD is an important one and a disturbing one. Uh, It involves something which uh, occurred time and time again here in the United States and yet is almost never talked about. And uh, what we are talking about is the presence in our own history of racial cleansing, of incidents in which African Americans were very much against their will, forced to leave their homes. And sometimes entire counties were almost completely rid of African Americans. And uh, the uncovering of this, I mean, in terms of just how widespread this phenomenon has been in our history, uh, well, it was uncovered by a a newspaper reporter by the name of Elliot Jaspin, uh, a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter, as a matter of fact. And uh, many years of painstaking research uh, led to the, the writing of a, of a series of articles and to this book called "Buried in the Bitter Waters: The Hidden History of Racial Cleansing in America." This is published by Basic Books. And for the next few minutes, we will be talking with Elliot Jaspin about this uh, very important research and this very, very troubling story. Elliot Jaspin, we welcome you to the morning show.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
0: I would like to, uh, just ahead of us talking specifically about your book, I would like to find out a little more about your career as a newspaper reporter and if you can give us, please, some sense of, of what your work has, has been over the years and, and how this particular work on this particular project folds into all of that.
1: Well, um started out in, in uh, Augusta, Maine and uh, worked at a series of papers in Maine and Pennsylvania, uh, Rhode Island um, and uh, Philadelphia Um, and uh, eventually uh, wound up here at Cox Newspapers in Washington, D.C. In the 1980s, I I got interested in the idea of using computers in the reporting process and uh, I developed uh, software that would allow me to use a PC as if it were a mainframe, and uh, I would get uh, uh, large databases from uh, government and analyze them for news stories. Uh, The book uh, Buried in the Bitter Waters is actually based on um, computer-assisted reporting that I did Hmm. using uh, historical census data.
0: And you you talk in in, in the introduction, I think, of the book to how uh, this allowed you to to make some sense out of what would have otherwise been just an overwhelming blizzard of of numbers. Uh, We we will talk about that. Uh, In fact, your introduction opens with a story uh, that finds you in a small town in northwest Arkansas. Uh, back in 1998. Tell us, first of all, why you were there and, and what you were looking for and uh, the, the moment of discovery which, in a sense, set all of this in motion.
1: Well, at the time I was working on a story on uh, food safety and there was a, uh, I think it was a chicken processing plant in uh, this little town of Berryville, Arkansas. And I'd been there for about a day and a half and um, I had some time to kill. So uh, I went into a local history museum just um, to poke around. And on the wall I saw this picture uh, from the 1850s of a farmer and his wife. And underneath the picture was the the man's will. So I'm reading the will, and a few lines down it says, And to my beloved wife, Bessie, I leave my five slaves. Uh, My first response was uh, one of... uh, shock. Every, every time you come across the artifacts of slavery, uh, it's just a really wrenching experience.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we all know that slavery existed and, and yeah. was a terrible thing, but nonetheless, when we see these sort of tangible reminders of what once upon a time was just sort of a given part of, of life in America, it, it is, I'm sure, uh, as you say, kind of a wrenching, jarring sort of experience.
1: But the other thing that struck me, uh, I had been there, as I said, for about a day and a half, and uh, I hadn't seen any black faces. And reading the will, it was obvious that there had been blacks living in uh, the area. They had been slaves. And so for the next few days, uh, while I was going from interview to interview, I, I looked for some you know, evidence of any blacks living in the community, saw nothing. So on the last day, and it was the last interview, in fact, it was the last question, uh, I asked this woman, by the way, uh, you know, I've been here for several days now, I haven't seen any blacks, how come? She says, oh, the Klan keeps them out. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and she
0: said it that offhandedly?
1: Absolutely. It was as if, you know, she was giving directions to the next bus stop. So, um... When I got back to Washington, uh, I was curious, and I got a hold of the 1990 census data, and because I can uh, view it electronically, I asked to see all the counties in Arkansas that were white or virtually all white. To my surprise, about a third came up.
0: One third of the counties in Arkansas had very, very small African-American populations.
1: Either small or non-existent. And I, you know, I was, this is really bizarre. So then I expanded the search to the south, and more counties came piling out. Uh, then I went further north, uh, and um, the list grew even longer. And I had no idea what I was looking at, it, but it just seemed improbable. Uh, I was talking with someone who uh, worked at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is owned by Cox Newspapers, And um, they'd come up to the Bureau. And I mentioned, you know, that I was looking at this stuff, and it didn't seem to make sense. And she said, well, you know, uh, Forsyth County, which is just uh, north of Atlanta, uh, Forsyth County, uh, they ran all the blacks out. Well, I'd never heard this. And um, so I, I wrote a small computer program to look at historical census data, and see if I could find where there was a what I call a black population collapse, where between two census there's a drop of 50% or greater in the black population. Again, I thought maybe I'd find two or three counties. Um, In fact, there were over 200 counties that came out of the computer. Um, And it was at that point that I began to realize that I was looking at something um, much, much larger than i 'd ever imagined,
0: in fact, you say in the introduction that you you honestly thought you had made some sort of mistake. I mean, you mm-hmm. kind of retraced your steps, thinking, surely this uh computer is spitting out something other than than what I have specifically asked for, but indeed uh there they were, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of counties, which showed this bewildering. Uh, phenomenon in terms of of African-American population.
1: Then the next thing I did was, uh, and I went from county to county, trying to figure out what took place. Now, in some places, you know, there was some perfectly innocent explanation for the drop, Uh, you know, the mine played out, or they redrew the county boundaries or something like that. But then I began finding um, the evidence in old newspaper clips of, whites rioting, and ordering all the blacks out of the county.
0: You talk so uh, movingly, really, in your introduction about what, what sounds like you know kind of the first moment that you really saw truly tangible confirmation of this. You were watching microfilm, I think, at the time right. and sort of turning that old crank and seeing pages of newspapers uh, go by on the screen, and then you see a headline which really told the story. All, ne- all Negroes driven from Indiana Town.
1: Um, and it was, at the time, um, it was front-page news. And then, very, very quickly, it just disappeared. And uh, you would talk to people, and they'd say, we know nothing about it. Um, and Or they would deny anything had ever happened. Uh, and But the evidence... Uh, we're still there.
0: Mm. We're speaking with Elliot Jaspin. We are talking about his book called Buried in the Bitter Waters, The Hidden History of Racial Cleansing in America. You say the counties where racial cleansings occurred form a rough arc that begins in North Carolina, crosses the Appalachians, and extends into the Midwest. Can you help us understand that that part of this, Uh, the reason why we see this in this sort of sweeping arc through the heart of the country?
1: Well, um, one of the things that was interesting was that in the Deep South, uh, states like Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, I didn't find a single black population collapse, uh, much less a racial cleansing. And... uh, after uh, a couple of years of researching this, it became clear uh, why. Uh, counties where there was a racial cleansing typically were counties where there, were, uh, there was a relatively small black population. And that makes kind of sense because, uh, first, it's obviously a lot easier to terrorize a small group of people than it is a large group of people. But I think more importantly, uh, if, the, uh, if the black population was critical to the economy of the community. Uh, for example, they pick the crops or they hoed the field or whatever. Um, driving off your labor force was basically shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, so the counties where uh, this occurred were rural, mountainous, um, with a relatively small black population. And so uh, they could drive out the, uh, the black population and it wouldn't hurt them economically.
0: So that's why this phenomenon occurs just to the north of those states of the Deep South. Right. Uh, it's it's in these states where, in a sense, it makes a little more kind of economic sense, if we want to mm-hmm. put it in those sorts of terms. You specifically in this book focus on racial cleansings that emptied entire counties uh but we should talk for a moment about the fact that that what we are talking about surely occurred uh, on a more limited scale as well over i mean and and in a sense in in much more widespread fashion that is with with towns and villages and individual communities uh experiencing this as well just talk for a moment about that and what if anything we really know about that well
1: um the, the book details 12 uh, counties where there were racial cleansings. And the reason it's counties is uh, an artifact of the, um, the data. In other words, the historical census data goes down to the county level. So in trying to find these black population cl- collapses, um, uh, I had to stop at the county level because the data below that does not exist in electronic form. Um, the other thing uh, which I think is worth mentioning here is that uh, I only, I limited it to counties where there were successful racial cleansings, which is to say that the counties remain white or virtually all white today. And the reason I did that was because I had so many that I had to in some way limit this um, or I'd still be researching it. Now. When I went through the old newspapers looking for evidence of these racial cleansings, I would come across uh, racial cleansings that occurred on the uh, village, the city, uh, the town level. So, for example, um, Marion, Ohio uh, uh, drove out all its blacks. Hamilton, Ohio drove out all its blacks. Mountain Lake, Tennessee, um, the one that's uh, very, very famous is Rosewood, Florida, um, a small town in Florida. uh, Again, drove out all its blacks. The history of this has really, we're just beginning to understand what took place. And the scope of this is far larger than just the 12 counties that I wrote about.
0: Right. I also wonder uh, if, if we can't probably even point, although I should think this would be in more major metropolitan areas, to racial cleansing uh, occurring in different forms, even on a neighborhood level. That is a certain part of town uh, where the blacks might have begun encroaching on, on a white population, in a sense, uh, might have been forcibly removed.
1: Uh, entirely possible. Um, it's At some point, though, um, you uh You have to draw i think some fairly uh narrow parameters in terms of what you 're going to call a racial cleansing and one of the things that I was concerned about was um that the book would be unassailable uh and so i i uh, I used as a the geographic unit obviously uh counties, and it couldn 't have happened uh naturally or you know, uh, or by happenstance. Um, in fact, I required they, that there be proof of an ultimatum being delivered from the white community to the black community saying, you know, you must leave in 24 hours or 48 hours or we will kill you. Hmm. Uh,
0: you know, you mentioned also that uh, in, in certain cases you, you 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 made certain that there hadn't been some sort of logical explanation for something, maybe an economic calamity which could have uh, perhaps galvanized such an exodus of of, of a given population. Uh, Did you find instances in which there was a relatively innocent explanation such as that?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, One of the, uh, in some ways, most interesting one was I saw this... A whole line of counties in Arkansas um, where there appeared to be uh, racial cleansings, where there was like a sudden drop in the black population. And I mean, it was really, really dramatic. And um, what I found was that they had been building a railroad line uh, through these counties, and they had imported uh, black workers to build the railroad line. So the census comes along, and there are black workers there, so they're counted in the census, you know, two, three hundred men. Uh, and then uh, after they finish building the railroad line, they move on. And 10 years later, when the census comes back, um, suddenly there's a drop in the black population. Well, all I was looking at was the building of a railroad line. Hmm.
0: We, you've, you've explained well why you are dealing at, at the county level with this. I mean, the that is where the statistical paper trail, in a sense, ends. Um, when these racial cleansings occurred, and we'll talk, of course, much more in detail about how they were carried out, but w- were they, in fact, carried out on a county level? I mean, do we do we have evidence that that those who carried this out wanted their entire county cleansed, or were they, in a sense, more interested in just that maybe central community within the county and and in, a, and in effect then essentially rid the county of most of the African Americans. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Were they thinking were they thinking on a countywide level when these kinds of cleansings took place?
1: Um, in some counties it's very, very clear that yes, that's what they were thinking about. So for example, Comanche County, Texas, um, they saw themselves their their world. As bounded by a county, and um, it was very, very clear that they were going to go through the county um, and and uh, run every blackout. And they struck uh, uh, communities, black communities, throughout the county and warned them that they had to leave. Um, in other cases, um, what happened was that there, in every county, there was a, a major trading center typically the county seat, and so um, when you and you had a racial cleansing in that county seat and drove all the blacks out, it made it impossible for blacks to live in the county period. So, for example, um, in uh, uh, Marshall County, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Lawrence County, uh, Missouri, uh, Pierce City, was uh, the trading center. And when all the blacks were driven out of there, if you were a black living, let's say, in a remote farm, where did you go to get uh, uh, a doctor? Where did you go to to buy your food or to get farm implements? Uh, Where did you go to get buried? Where was was, uh, the church? It had all been wiped away. Mm. And so it made living in that county, if you were black, virtually impossible.
0: I suppose a way to understand that would be if, if, uh, if, if a bunch of whites went to a black family in in a, in a small town and said, uh, "We'll let you stay here, but but you uh, but you can't set foot in any of the stores," or something like that, in w- in which life would be all but impossible uh, hmm. under those circumstances. And in a sense, when you remove the county seat and all which it uh, contains uh, makes when you render that unavailable, uh, then it, it it doesn't make sense to remain.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it makes life impossible for you.
0: Hmm. You also talk about how when we look at some of the maps of this part of the country within this arc where this kind of cleansing occurred, that we see some some really odd designs. I think you call it at one point sort of the donut hole, that is, there will be a county where this will have taken place, surrounded by other counties in which the population of African Americans is 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 much higher. Explain that just for a moment and, and, and what that tells us about this phenomenon.
1: Well, um, a great example of that is Forsyth County, Georgia, um, where uh, when you... Today, look at the demographics of that region. Um, You'll see there's the um, Forsyth County uh, with a very, very small black population. In 2000, it was under 1,000 people in that county. And this is um, close to 100 years after uh, the racial cleansing that occurred there. And then in surrounding counties, you'll see um, a what I'm going to call a normal black population, Uh, you'll see uh, thousands of blacks living in the surrounding counties. So Forsyth County is kind of the the hole in the middle of the donut. And when you're looking for these racial cleansings, that's a very typical pattern. Um, And it's one of the tip-offs that you need to look a little closer.
0: Hmm. We're speaking with Elliot Jaspin. We're talking about his book called Buried in the bitter waters, the hidden history of racial cleansing uh, in America. One thing that is especially odd about this, which uh, you point out to us, is that when we were ta- when we are talking about racial cleansing, the and these kind of incidents in which African Americans were were forced from their homes, uh, that this would play out in. In various ways, and often in ways which involved little or or, or absolutely no bloodshed. I mean, uh, n- no deaths. I mean, uh, we as when we hear about this, we immediately think about bloodthirsty mobs and and uh, and this being carried out in very violent fashion. In fact, one of the most sinister faces of this is that sometimes this occurred in a sense very quietly. Talk for a moment about that.
1: Well. Um It was an attempt to terrorize people, and how you terrorize them um, you know ran the gamut from um, uh, 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 killing them uh, through torturing them in in one case uh, in Kentucky, they rounded up uh, about a dozen blacks and tortured them for about an hour and then said, you know we're going to be back, so you'd better leave or we'll do this again um to um, where they would just issue an ultimatum, and, and for example, in Vermillion County, Indiana, um, the the word went around to uh, the black community. Um, in fact, they the, the whites held a meeting and said, um, "You have to be gone by Wednesday," I think it was, and uh, you know, blacks realized the writing was on the wall, uh, and. It was that implied threat of violence was was sufficient for them to to flee for their lives. Mm-hmm. It 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 was all that it took. Mm-hmm.
0: One thing that makes this so very very curious is that that this occurred so often in so many different places, and yet remained and remains so hidden from public view and. And is so conspicuously absent from the historical record. Um, first of all, uh, can we trace that veil of secrecy to to the same cause, or is this obscure in our history for for different reasons? Uh, when you say the same cause, uh, what exactly do you mean? Well, I mean there 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 are, there are probably different explanations for why this was talked about so little or why it is so little remembered, why it is not in our history books, why uh, it, it is not necessarily uh, talked about all that much. I mean, is is it for different reasons and different places that this is such an unknown part of our history?
1: No, I, I think it. Uh, what I found was that it was... Uh, Pretty uh, consistent. uh, Initially, uh, after these racial cleansings occurred, whites would see them as a positive social benefit. So, for example, in uh, Boone County, Arkansas, the Chamber of Commerce advertised its community, and one of the um, selling points for the Uh community was that there were, um, and they put it in their brochure, that we have neither mosquitoes nor Negroes. I mean and in uh, Monet uh, Missouri on their official town stationery um, they crowed that this is a town that is all white.
0: Mm. So at the time in the immediate wake of this uh, a town would be proud of this and publicize this in the same way that if they had driven out rats from the from the the village marketplace or exactly. or some other pest. Uh, this was seen as, as as a as a positive thing and 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 not kept secret really
1: right. but then, as uh, the times changed, um, the attitudes changed as well, and it began to be seen as what it was, which was just a a, a terrible, terrible thing. And um, what happened then was that the whites in these communities would create uh, what I call fables. And this was a uh, story that would, uh, whose whole intent was to absolve the white community of any guilt for what had occurred. And typically the fable was, uh, was formulated to show that um, well yes, this, is hap- this had happened, um, it was uh, done in an, in an exemplary fashion, no one was really hurt, And if no one was hurt, then there was really no harm. And if there's no harm, therefore there's no foul. So uh, uh, we don't need to talk about it. They would either do that or they would simply deny that it ever took place. And so, for example, um, in uh, Corbin, Kentucky, uh, where in a 24-hour period, uh, uh, mobs rounded up blacks at gunpoint, marched them to the train station and put them on trains and sent them packing. Um, the, uh, the town to this day claims that never took place. It just never happened. The, um, this helped to hide the fact that this had occurred. The other side of the equation was that uh, within the black community, and this was a, a huge surprise to me, um, there was uh, among the descendants of those driven out, there's this lingering sense of shame. Now, I want to emphasize here, the people who were driven out were absolutely innocent. They had done nothing wrong. Um, but the fact that they had been driven out uh, implied that there was something wrong with them. And, um, and so, for example, in Forsyth County, uh, one of the uh, men who was driven out uh, would tell uh, anybody who asked that uh, he was actually from Chicago. He'd never been to Forsyth County. Hmm. Um, so you have this kind of conspiracy of silence on both sides. And it's a, it's a conspiracy that continues to this day.
0: You, you talk about, for instance, how in, in, many, uh, in many African-American families, uh, they might know enough to say to someone, oh, no, 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 you don't want to move to Forsyth County, Georgia. Hmm. You, you really don't. But they wouldn't know exactly why not. I mean, they would not really know in any sense, in any detail whatsoever, what had transpired there, really only just that something very bad had happened there once upon a time. And, and that means even to this very day that this is a place where a black family should not attempt to live.
1: In, in fact, what I found was that uh, this warning is actually a rite of passage in black families.
0: Well, well, yes, that, you call it the speech.
1: Right. They um, The uh, child uh, gets uh, his or her driver's license, and typically what happens is they're sat down by their parents, and they're told two things. first is, here's what you do when you're stopped by the police. And then the other thing is, these are the places you do not go because they're just too dangerous. Um, and that is how the information is passed along, and and many times um, there'll be a town on the list, and no one will know why, but they just know that that's a dangerous place, and in fact, after the, the book was published, um, I've gotten emails from people who said, who thanked me saying, you know, my father told me that such and such place was always dangerous, and I never knew why, and thanks for explaining this. Um, it's, The tradition, the oral tradition, passes it down, but it gets fuzzed and blurred.
0: Mm -hmm. We're speaking with Elliot Jaspin about his book Buried in the Bitter Waters, The Hidden History of Racial Cleansing in America. In trying to help us understand what may have driven whites uh, to do this time and time again, one of the points you make, which had, had not really dawned on me, was in in pointing to this idea of segregation and the fact that in places where the races were rather rather clearly, (laughs) cleanly segregated from one another, that that very segregation uh, often fostered what you call increasingly bizarre fantasies. I mean, terrifying fantasies uh, amongst at least some of the whites. Talk for a moment about uh, some of the ways in which that would play out and contribute ultimately to these disturbing events.
1: Well, in, in doing the research to find uh, the evidence of these racial cleansings, what I would have to do is take a newspaper and go through it literally day by day looking for the story about uh, blacks being driven out of X or Y place. And as I did that, I would come across these really strange stories about um, uh, where whites would comment on on blacks, and that's when I saw this racial paranoia, which uh, is just it's uh, just staggering. The uh, it would play out in a number of ways. Uh, for example, uh, Pierce City, Missouri, they drove out. Uh, the blacks in, in one just terrible night of violence. And, but then they imagined that there was this black army that was forming on uh, outside of town. And on a Thursday night, uh, the, the, uh, the racial cleansing occurred on, on Monday night. On Thursday night, um, there was this rumor that swept through town that the blacks were coming over the hills and this black army was about to attack us. They literally called out the National Guard to protect them from this phantom army. Um, And, you know, nothing could have been further from the truth. You read the newspaper stories and you just get these absolutely weird views of what whites thought of blacks. (laughs) For example, in in, uh, southern Indiana... Um, there was this story where the guy was saying with great confidence, you know, there are different classes of Negroes, and then, and he says, and then there is the blue gum nigger whose bite is poisonous. I mean, it's just scary.
0: Right. I mean, s- scary that people could concoct oh, yeah. such fantasies yeah. um, or or that uh, blacks had uh, unrestrained sexual appetites, which, of course, leads into one of the most common uh aspects of this, namely that that sometimes these cleansings would, would seem to be galvanized by uh, an incident in which apparently, supposedly, uh, an African-American man had perhaps attacked or even raped um, a white woman. And that's one of the most interesting things in the book is you attempt, uh, of course, many, many, many years later to get at the heart of of those kind of incidents and the truth, if any, behind them.
1: Yeah, and um, it came down sort of 50-50. Sometimes, in fact, uh, a black man had assaulted uh, or killed a white woman. Um, But there were some cases where it was obvious that it just hadn't happened. Um, And one of the most... um, it was almost gothic uh, experiences I had was in Mitchell County, North Carolina, where I interviewed one of the descendants of the woman who uh, claimed that she had been raped. And uh, we're sitting there in this, in this sunny porch uh, of her home, is beautiful place, and uh, she said, well, the story within her family is that uh, Grandma didn't, uh, uh, wasn't raped. In fact, she just got scared. Um, and the man he, she, she accused of, of raping her uh, was tried. He was convicted. Um, they spent five minutes uh, electrocuting him. Uh, the the um, uh, county, um, the blacks in the county, were driven out. The national guard was called in, and 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 yet there, the family saying, "Well, no, it actually never really happened."
0: Hmm. Echoes of To Kill a Mockingbird. Hmm. Hmm. Um, one thing that uh, you you point out is that some of this perhaps is traced to a really important moment in our history which probably a lot of us as Americans have have largely forgotten about or are certainly hazy on the details, and that is the Dred Scott decision back in eighteen fifty seven Tell us why this uh, is an important factor uh, in, in in sparking some of these incidents
1: well there's always in um, in each of these racial cleansings that I examined there's always something like uh, a, a rape a murder uh, some triggering event, but really what's taking place here is is far more fundamental in the dred Scott decision uh, one of the things that the Supreme Court ruled was that Negroes, by the very fact of being Negroes, could not be citizens. that this was a country of for and by white men. Um, what that meant uh, was had an impact far beyond just sort of the political calculation. Um, obviously, Uh, If you couldn't be a citizen, you couldn't be, you you didn't have the right to vote. And, um, in fact, um, after Reconstruction, uh, blacks were stripped of the right to vote. And if you didn't have the right to vote, if you were not a citizen, then you didn't belong to the community socially. And if you didn't belong there, then it was permissible to get rid of you, to run you off.
0: Hmm. Yes, you said if when when we are looking at the African Americans among us as guests, and and not in a not in a benevolent way, but as uh, guests who should behave, and who when they don't behave in our home, uh, we certainly have the right to uh, to to turn them out. I mean that, in a sense, in a twisted way, gives you license to do all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. When, when you are thinking of them not as fellow citizens in the same town, but as guests there uh, at, at, at your pleasure and discretion,
1: and then if you pile on top of that the idea that these guests are these uh, you know strange, uh, dangerous creatures, driving them out is a social benefit. Hmm. It improves your community.
0: You do mention in the book's introduction and throughout the heart of the book when you examine these 12 specific incidents that uh, there are at least some cases in which there was opposition to this being done one of the most intriguing uh, examples of that is the uh, the racial cleansing which occurred in Comanche County Texas back in 1886 an incident in which you say uh, the white community there was really torn apart Tell us about that.
1: Well, the, the uh, common or popular notion is that there was uh, uh, some uh, uh, white uh, hegemony there, that uh, uh, there was a solid body of opinion that uh, this or that needed to happen. And in fact, that was not the case, and not just in Comanche County, Ca- Texas, but in a number of these racial cleansings, um, the community was really split. Uh, the whites in uh, in town who lived uh, next to, worked with, were friends with uh, their black neighbors, um, when they were told that you know all blacks had to to leave, um, were furious, and in fact they held a mass meeting, passed a resolution denouncing the idea, and. It was a battle between the townspeople, uh, where most of the blacks lived, and the farmers in the in the surrounding area who um, uh, were uh, lived on farms uh, and did not uh, see uh, or have any uh, dealings with blacks on a on a day-to-day basis. Um, and one of the sad things about this is when they designed the fables to uh, uh, absolve themselves of guilt. One of, the, uh, one of the things that they did was they obliterated the history of the heroes in their community, the people who, at times of great moral crisis, such as a racial cleansing, stood up and said, no, this is wrong, and, and fought the mob. Well, those people, those heroes, the people that we should celebrate today, their histories have been uh, uh, destroyed.
0: Hmm. Another interesting facet in in this particular incident, and this is not the only place we we read this kind of story, but as I read about these cleansings, uh, one of the most intriguing things to me was, what about those cases, those counties in which, I mean, we're talking about a population sometimes in which at first there were 2,000 blacks and then uh, three years later, there are 12. I mean, sometimes we're talking about a plunge of that. One of the things you wonder about is what about those 12 or what about those four or what about the one African American who, who chooses to remain or, or maybe for some reason just can't leave, doesn't have the wherewithal to leave, does not leave. What is life like for them? And and if it is a conscious decision, a conscious choice they are making to remain, uh, what is that motivation, and what is the experience like for them? And the way this plays out uh, in Comanche, Texas, is particularly interesting uh, with uh, a, a, a black family that that you come to know.
1: Well, th- there's actually that is a really interesting point, and it's it's something. Um, I didn't get into in great detail in the book, but which I came across is um, as I was going through these old newspapers, um, I would come across these just really bizarre little stories about um, uh, sort of like social notes that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith came into down to yesterday uh, with their loyal retainer, uh, you know, Rufus, and and then they'll talk about that Rufus was an ex-slave, and he's one of those good old-time uh, Negroes who knows his place, and uh, and and hooray for Rufus. That sort of thing. And the impression you get is that the there were a group of people, and it, it sounds awfully harsh, but this is how the whites viewed them. There were sort of like pet Negroes, and uh, and you you will find in the old newspaper accounts that they're treated, you know, sort of like the, as kind of the loyal lapdog. When there are these racial cleansings, occasionally the white community would decide that there were two or three of these pet Negroes who would be allowed to stay. So, for example, in Corbin, Kentucky, um, there was, um, uh, all the blacks were driven out except for three. And uh, they were, my impression was they were extremely old, and um, one in particular was known throughout town as Nigger Dennis, and you know, and he was just sort of um, accepted as part of the community, um, as harmless and uh, uh, kind of the loyal retainer. Now, um, they probably their lives didn't change all that much uh, because they were seen as absolutely harmless and kind of uh, uh, not a problem, not a threat. Um, Again, uh, they were the pet Negro. Later on, um, these communities, uh, blacks would try to move back into these communities. So in Comanche County, Texas, after about 100 years, I found this uh, black family that tried to live in Comanche County. And in fact, they spent uh, 15 or 20 years there um, and uh, raised uh, their daughters. And what was fascinating was that they were met initially with tremendous hostility. And uh, one of the daughters uh, told me how she would come home uh, from elementary school, and ask her mom, uh, "What's a nigger?" And uh, mom would try would explain that, uh, you know, that the other kids were, you know, just uh, teasing her, and and not to worry about it. Uh, but she had no idea of of why she was being picked on. She goes from that, and from being uh, picked on by the other kids because she was different. To uh, she was a tremendous athlete by the time she graduated from uh, high school, she was uh, a star athlete um, on uh, the winning women 's basketball team in town and in fact, they wound up uh, parading her and the rest of the team through town after they won the state championship. so she goes from you know uh, being uh, called. Uh, you know, nigger on uh, the basketball court by the fans uh, when she started out her career to being, uh, you know, uh, a celebrity in town. But then the color line in these counties is still maintained. And so after she graduates and goes off to college, she told me she came back six months later. And as she's driving through town, she starts being followed by the police. Because the police in Comanche County, Texas, um, will check out any black driving through the county to make sure they don't stop, that they move on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, even though she'd lived there for 20 years, uh, the color line is maintained.
0: And when you pose the question, why did they, for so long, hang on in Comanche, uh, putting up with so much? and Nicole's mother says I stayed because they didn't want me to. Yeah, she's an amazing person. <laughs> there are a lot of amazing stories in in this book. In just the 2 minutes or so that remain, I would like you to talk briefly about another story that you that you tell in this book at the end, namely about in some sense the professional cost to you in telling this story as honestly as you want as as you wanted to. I mean, one of the really disturbing things we read about is the resistance uh, with certain newspaper editors uh, in the South to having this story told as you wanted to tell it. Just tell us very briefly about that.
1: Well, um, I talked about the fable, um, and the fable in Forsyth County, Georgia, was that, yeah, we, uh, we drove the blacks out, but we paid them for their land. And if we paid them for their land, then there was no harm, no harm, no foul. We did nothing wrong. And uh, it's very, very important that the community defend the fable. Um, when I was writing, uh, was, I'm sorry, was researching uh, the history of this um, in Forsyth County, um, I started looking at the newspaper accounts of uh, race relations in Forsyth County, And these stories were written by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a Cox newspaper, and I worked for Cox newspapers. And it became very, very clear that the AJC saw its role as defending this fable. So, for example, in 1987, they did a front-page story in which uh, the racial cleansing was called a legend, and they repeated the lie, which it was, that all the blacks had been, you know, compensated for their land. In fact, I went through every piece of black-owned land in Forsyth County and found out that the majority had had, had basically their land stolen. When I wrote about this in my uh, the newspaper series that I was preparing for Cox Newspapers, um, the editors in Atlanta just went bonkers. And um, uh, I'll spare you the, the long story of this, except that they refused to run even one word of the series. And the editor, uh, my immediate boss here, looked at me and says, well, you know, I, I think we both know what's going on here. They don't want to anger white people. Ironically, the, the editor in Atlanta who's led the charge against the series, uh, a guy named Hank Klibanoff, went on this year to win a Pulitzer for her book on... Uh, he wrote with another man on uh, how race was covered during the 50s and the 60s. Um, The end result, uh, I refused to go along with what I consider to be a cover-up, and so uh, I've been demoted at Cox. Hmm.
0: Yet another sad chapter in an amazing and uh, important story called Buried in the Bitter Waters, published by Basic Books. Elliot Jaspin, I thank you for this really important book and for joining me on the morning show to talk about it. Best wishes to you.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.